Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Show notes and additional episodes are available at kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog at comlawmonitor.com. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hi, I'm Jeff Story, one of the podcast producers here at Kelly Dry. In this episode of Full Spectrum, as the communication group does after each FCC open meeting, we'll give you a first take and analysis of several items on the August 5th, 2022 agenda. Mike, take it away. Great. Thanks, Jeff. On Friday, the commission adopted a second report and order, which establishes the American Connectivity Programs Outreach Grant Program, which is intended to conduct outreach, increase awareness, and encourage participation in the FCC's Affordable Connectivity Program, or ACP. In brief, the ACP was established by the Infrastructure Act to assist families with the cost of broadband internet connectivity. The ACP provides eligible low-income households a discount of up to $30 per month for broadband service and up to $75 per month for households on tribal lands. The Commission's Outreach Grant Program established by this order is based on the Commission's allocation of up to $100 million from the ACP budget designed for grants and outreach outreach efforts to be spent over the next five years. Briefly, the Commission's order establishes the grant program criteria for eligible governmental and non-governmental entity funding some of which I'll detail today, but uh, which is in more detail in the order that uh, will be issued by the commission. The order establishes a structure for the program and directs the Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau, CGB, to develop, administer, and manage the program, allocates funds for pilot programs, including the Your Home, Your Internet pilot program that I'll be speaking about after this order, as well as the ACP Digital Navigator pilot program that was previously established by the uh, commission in January earlier this year. It also directs the CGB to designate a portion of the program budget for formula-based allocation to every U.S. state and territory for competitive allocation to tribal government and organizations and allocations for nationwide competitive pools to be used in the grant program and directs the CGB to develop and manage the program, um, including through one or more notices of funding opportunities. In addition, the order establishes safeguards against waste, fraud, and abuse for the program. First, uh, with respect to the grant program, the order recognizes Congress's uh, uh, recognition of multiple forms of outreach as important to ensuring full participation and closing the digital divide through awareness and participation in the ACP program. As a result, the Commission's order discusses and approves of various types of outreach activities, including, but not limited to in-person events, literature campaigns, digital campaigns, paid media campaigns, 
all of which could prove meaningful and be successful in closing the digital divide and encouraging participation in the ACP program. The order also talks about outreach programs, which should be tailored to targeted communities and gives examples of how these, those outreach programs can be tailored. It's important to note that the order does not prescribe a comprehensive list of outreach activities that are eligible under the grant program, but instead more broadly directs outreach for all grant funded activities to be tailored to the specific needs of various communities. With respect to outreach expenses that will be uh, reimbursable under the outreach grant program, the order directs that expenses must be, quote, necessary and reasonable and declines to adopt a comprehensive list of outreach expenses that would be reimbursable under the program, but instead directs the CGB to consider the goals, objectives, and available funding when evaluating outreach expense grant reimbursement requests. Importantly, with regard to the uh, waste, fraud, and abuse criteria established in the order for the program, the commission adopts several safeguards, which are intended to supplement the existing regulatory and statutory restrictions applicable to federal grant programs. In brief, the commission discusses safeguards, which ensures the requirement that all grantees not favor any particular service provider in performing and conducting outreach activities funded by the grant program. In addition, the order establishes a prohibition against any form of compensation to individuals engaged in grant-funded outreach activities based on the number of ACP applicants or enrollments resulting from their, the entity's grant-funded outreach activities. That prohibition, as an aside, is consistent with the lifeline prohibition and ACP prohibition uh, against uh, compensation related to the number of an applicants or enrollments participating in the program. Uh, the order for the grant program also states that grantees may not earn or keep profit resulting from an outreach grant program. Instead, the grantees are only permitted to uh, recover their allowable outreach expenses, which I just uh, briefly described. And the order also prohibits the use of grant funds to support or obtain gifts or incentives to provide or encourage consumers to learn about the ACP. And so there are um, several important safeguard and fraud abuse um, directions in the order. Um, I would encourage everybody who's interested uh, to take a closer look at the uh, brief description I just gave. As to the eligible entities who can participate in the grant program, the commission encourages wide participation through um, uh, any entity without prescribing any specific types of eligible entities and gives examples of entities that it imagines would benefit or could benefit from this grant program. These include tribal governments, state governments, and subdivisions of state governments like local governments, 
public housing authorities, social service providers, such as food banks, community transportation and healthcare, education organizations, such as schools and other institutes of higher ed education, workforce development training organizations, and nonprofit organizations. However, the order is clear that the participating entity in the grant program is not limited to 501c3 nonprofit status uh, entities. Other entities are permitted. However, as I mentioned earlier, broadband providers and their affiliates and broadband trade organizations are ineligible to participate. With regard to other basic eligibility criteria, the commission's order details several of them. For example, the um, applicant for the grant program uh, must uh, demonstrate that the entity is capable of conducting the outreach designed to increase participation and awareness of the ACP program. And the applicant is also required to demonstrate that uh, the entity satisfies all the other legal requirements for grant eligibility. As I mentioned earlier, the program budgeted to $100 million, and the commission directs the CGB to designate a portion of the budget based on a formula-based allocation to every state and U.S. territory. Um, the order briefly describes high-level um, high parameters for that formula-based allocation, um, including basing it on the U.S. Census uh, from 2020 and population trends. In addition, the Commission states that the CGB must designate a portion of that budget for uh, competitive allocation through notice of funding opportunities and directs that $5 million of that budget will be designated for the Your Home, Your Internet pilot project, which I'm going to speak about here shortly, and the ACP Digital Navigator pilot project, which was uh, previously established in January of this year. Lastly, the order provides detailed guidance for the CBG's administration of the grant program, um, including uh, parameters for the use of the notice of funding opportunities and participating guidelines, uh, as well as specific financial reporting and other administrative requirements. Um, if you are interested in participating in the grant program, I would encourage you to review those parameters closely. Uh, the commission adopted this second report in order on Friday unanimously. Uh, the second item on Friday's open meeting um, agenda was re related to the pilot program I mentioned earlier, which is the Your Home, Your Internet pilot program. The commission considered and adopted unanimously a third report in order, which facilitates ACP applications and applicants, which intends to facilitate ACP applications um, and applicants who participate in the ACP through federal housing assistance programs. The pilot um, is intended to increase awareness and, and ease application, application, appro uh, application approval in the ACP program by those who participate in the federal housing assistance programs. Um, to be clear, those federal housing assistance programs 
are those that are administered by the Department of Housing and Urban Development, uh, HUD, um, or are administered by state, local, and tribal agencies, and uh, HUD, HUD partners that administer federal housing assistance programs such as public housing, the Housing Choice Voucher Program, also known as Section 8, and project-based rental assistance. What the Commission has found in, in the pilot program order is that uh, the ACP application uh, did not make federal housing assistance as a qualifying eligible program for the ACP clear on the application. And so uh, the Commission, um, with feedback from HUD staff, suggests that the application procedure use more easily recognizable language to uh, identify federal housing assistance as an eligible program. The order directs the Wireline Competition Bureau and USAC to provide explanatory language, naming public housing, housing choice vouchers, project-based rental assistance in the ACP application itself and at the point where the applications select the qualifying programs in which they participate so that there is a greater understanding by the ACP applicant of whether or not that qualifying program would apply to them. In addition, the order directs that related USAC material and material created by the commission use more easily recognizable language to identify federal housing assistance as an eligible ACT, ACP program. In addition, the order also directs swift finalization of a revised data sharing agreement with HUD so that federal housing assistant recipients can be automatically approved through the national verifier rather than through manual verification of application at ACP applicants and provides guidance to USAC to facilitate manual review uh, where where it's continued to be needed. As I mentioned, the, this order also establishes the Your Home, Your Internet Pilot Program. This is a one-year program that uh, solicits proposals about ideas on how to spread awareness of the ACP program by incre increasing enrollment among federal housing assistance participants. The pilot envisions up to 20 participants diverse in geography and size, uh, urban and rural from across the country to participate in the pilot program. These participants will be given the option to access the National Verifier to better assist customers in the application process and the option to apply for outreach grant funds of up to $5 million for the pilot project. Uh, in addition, the Commission indicated, indicates in this order that it will also be providing an additional $5 million for additional Commission outreach related to federal housing assistance eligibility, uh, an eligible program to participate in the ACP. The order details the parameters for participating in the pilot program. I'll go through a few of those. The pilot applicants must be either federal agencies or non-federal agencies, such as state, local, and tribal agencies, nonprofit or community-based organizations, working with federal housing assistant recipients. Um, at the uh, commission details a number of potential pilot activities, but expressly states that it hopes pilot applicants will be creative 
in applying for the program. Some of the examples that the order details are electronic toolkits and downloadable content to promote awareness about the ACP program and the federal assistance uh, as a qualified a federal housing assistance as a qualifying um, program. Application assistance, including through the pilot participants act, direct access to National Verifier to assist participants in the application process. And they, the order, the commission indicates that uh, additional suggestions will be considered with regard to application assistance. And uh, the order also encourages pilot applicants to participate in the ACP Navigator pilot. As I mentioned, that was established, previously established in January of this year. Essentially, uh, in short, it um, allows access to the national verifier to neutral third-party entities, such as schools and school districts. The Wireline Competition Bureau is directed by this order to establish the pilot application process and selection criteria within 60 days of the order's final release, and the order provides um, criteria related to that, um, including a window which is at least 28 days for applicants to submit applications after the selection criteria are published. In addition, uh, the order establishes reporting by the Wireline Competition Bureau at the end of the one-year uh, pilot project, as well as um, during the project, uh, during the pilot, the Wireline Competition Bureau is directed to collect data, including survey, survey data, to ensure the effectiveness of the pilot program, uh, with the end goal being a final report after the one-year uh, pilot is completed, which should include recommendations to the Commission on further action and successes and potential issues that came up during the uh, pilot program. This order was adopted unanimously by the uh, Commission on Friday. And now I'll turn it over to Chip Yorkaitis. He will be talking about uh, the satellite items Friday's FCC open meeting. Chip? Thanks, Mike. Now I'm going to pivot uh, and, as you indicated, take us in a very different direction from ACP initiatives. Um, on August 3rd, two days before the open meeting, the Commission adopted a report and order and notice of proposed rulemaking regarding the fixed satellite services, or FSS. This matter had been on the Commission's tentative agenda for Friday's open meeting, but it was pulled after the Commission adopted the order on circulation on a 4-0 vote. There were no separate statements by any of the commissioners. The order resolved the 2020 Notice of Proposed Rulemaking in IB Docket number 2330, by which the FCC continues to refine its allocations and rules within the FSS spectrum in the conventional KU and KA bands. Historically, the 17.3 to 17.8 gigahertz band, which was the subject of the order, has been used for FSS feeder uplinks that transmit programming uh, from Earth stations to direct broadcast satellite or DBS service uh, space stations in geostationary orbit. Uh, and the 17.7 to 17.8 gigahertz band uh, has been used on a primary basis, also terrestrially by fixed services. Um, 
the order uh, which introduces these FSS uh, downlinks anticipates consideration of agenda item 1.19 at the International Telecommunication Union or ITU 2023 World Radio Conference, which is to be held in Dubai of the United Arab Emirates late next year. The U.S. backs adoption of a new allocation internationally within the Americas uh, or in Region 2 at that conference for FSS downlinks in the 17.3 to 17.7 gigahertz band. Uh, And these would be on a shared basis uh, with existing FSS uplink allocations and the broadcast satellite service or or the BSS. So in this case, uh, domestically, the commission voted to modify its rules to provide 500 megahertz of additional contiguous 17 gigahertz band downlink space to earth spectrum for GSO space stations, uh, specifically, uh, as I mentioned, between 17.3 and 17.8 gigahertz. Um, SES Americom had filed a petition for rulemaking sinking that's changed in early 2019. So this resolves that matter. 400 megahertz of the new FSS downlink allocation, specifically between 17.3 and 17.7 gigahertz, is on a co-primary basis with the incumbent services. But the order also permits on a secondary basis, FSS downlinks to use 17.7 to 17.8 gigahertz. So those downlinks would be on an unprotected basis with regard to the primary terrestrial fixed service operations, uh, although on a co-priority basis with other existing satellite operations subject to certain mitigation arrangements, which I'll touch on briefly. Only CTIA had opposed the new allocations. It it sought to merge the proceeding with the FCC's 12 gigahertz notice of proposed rulemaking, uh, which is pending. There, the commission is considering revising allocations to increase sharing between satellite and terrestrial operations and or introduce new services on a shared basis in the 12.2 to 12.7 gigahertz band, uh, which is on a paired basis with the 17.3 to 17.8 gigahertz band. Again, as I mentioned earlier, the 17.3 gigahertz band uh, is used for DBS uplinks, uh, whereas 12.2 gigahertz band is used for downlinks. Uh, But the commission concluded in response to CTIA's opposition that there would be no efficiencies in merging the proceeding And it could lead to administrative complications and delays in making this new FSS spectrum available. The commission anticipates the allocation will bring benefits by allowing future satellites to meet increasing needs of GSO FSS downlinks, uh, allowing for more intensive and efficient use uh, of the band, which had already been available, as I noted, for FSS and BSSS. The commission noted that the additional downlink capacity that it was introducing would be most attractive for high-throughput satellite communications downlinks, uh, which are using spot beam technology and high-order frequency reuse to significantly increase capacity and spectral efficiency. These high-throughput satellite communications satellites um, are, are ones that the commission holds that promise will help to provide increased communications to unserved and underserved areas of the United States, 
uh, and insist and assist in closing the digital divide, as well as just generally making the spectrum band used in a more effective manner. You know, the point here is the commission is not finding or creating any new spectrum these days. And so it's increasingly focusing on ways to get uh, more from less, as it were, to accommodate growing demand for capacity. In this case, for HTS or high throughput satellites uh, like those operated by Viasat and Hughes Echo Store. In order to accommodate this additional downlink use case for the 17.3 to 17.8 gigahertz range, Commission adopted in the order a series of technical safeguards to promote sharing without increasing the potential for harmful interference. Uh, these include uh, orbital arc separation requirements, as well as mitigation arrangements that would help minimize the potential for interference between FSS downlinks and direct broadcast satellite uplinks, as was proposed in the 2020 Notice of Proposed Rulemaking. Prior to the decision, there was already a uh, reverse band sharing arrangement in the 17.3 to 17.8 gigahertz range uh, between DBS space station receivers, which were vulnerable to base path interference from nearby co-frequency 17-24 gigahertz broadcast satellite space stations, their downlink transmissions in particular. So the commission borrowed a similar approach to protect against interference from these new FSS downlinks that the order would make possible. Other measures were adopted to address the potential for interference between uplink DBS stations and FSS uh, earth station receivers, including grandfathering of existing DBS uplink earth stations that have priority status, uh, as well as rules governing, governing the ability of the DBS stations to modify their operations. Now, this order also defines what the commission is calling a, quote, extended KA band allocation. And this is, takes a variety of FSS allocations between 17.3 and 19.7 gigahertz, as well as uh, between 27.5 to 29.1 gigahertz. The reason for this new definition uh, of an extended KA band is a practical one. The order modifies the F FCC licensing rules applicable to the entire range between 17.3 and 19.7 gigahertz to reconcile it with the streamlined licensing processes that are already applicable between 27.5 and 29.1 gigahertz. So this would now bring it all within the same framework. And, uh, you know, the commission hopes allows for, you know, more administrative uh, ease and clarity. The order also adopted proposals to facilitate uh, authorization of blanket licensed earth stations and earth stations in motion to operate in the 17.3 to 17.8 gigahertz downlink band. But these would be on an unprotected basis. The commission rejected oppositions from AT&T and CTIA regarding this licensing because the stations in question pose no interference threat to other services uh, because they're received stations. And they also place no undue coordination burden on incumbent, op on incumbent operators because these stations would be on an unprotected basis. The order also rejects CTIA's concerns about new terrestrial uses of the 17.3 to 17.8 gigahertz band that might be compromised by the commission's action regarding FSS downlinks as speculative. Now, there's an NPRM that accompanies the order 
and that establishes a new docket, IB docket number 22.273. The commission there seeks comment on whether to allow operations of non-geostationary satellites or NGSO in the band. These would be downlinks as well. And this is very similar to actions the commission has taken uh, with regard to uh, other bands in the extended KA band in the sense that over the past decade, where the commission has increased permitted use for GSO satellites uh, or that use is already permitted, the commission has explored ways to make that same spectrum available for the, the NGSO satellites. Uh, so in conjunction with that, the MPRM also seeks views on what technical rules and standards would be needed to prevent harmful interference to both incumbent operations and the new GSO FSS downlinks if these non-geostationary downlinks are also permitted. And I'd also note, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Commission's action anticipates the 2023 uh, work agenda item 1.19 and how that might be resolved. The NPRM, in looking at the NGSO potential in the band, this would align with preparatory studies for the 2023 World Radio Communication Conference, and uh, it would also be consistent with the position backed by the United States with regard to that conference as, as the Commission, uh, NTIA, and the Department of State uh, support making the band available for NGSO within the international table of allocations. Comments on the NPRM will be due 60 days after publication in the Federal Register, and reply comments will be due 30 days after that. I want to turn briefly to another matter which the Commission did keep on the agenda and adopted at its open meeting. The Commission launched a very broad and comprehensive inquiry proceeding in IB dockets number 22-271 and 22-272 to examine the opportunities and challenges of in-space servicing, assembly, and manufacturing, uh, which uses the acronym ISAM or ISAM, no relation to Dr. Seuss's book character. ISAM activities can be used to support sustained economic activity in space. This includes uh, satellite refueling, inspecting and repairing in-orbit spacecraft, capturing and removing or repositioning space debris, and transforming materials through manufacturing while in space. Chairwoman Rosenworcel noted in her comments at the open meeting that this inquiry is just the first step of the commission in its new docket for space innovation, uh, that's IB docket 22-271, as the commission considers its role and its rules in what she called the new space age. Through this inquiry, the FCC wants to understand where the space industry is today concerning existing and developing ISAM capabilities, how the commission can best support sustainable development of space, and what tangible economic and societal benefits may result from the development of ISAM capabilities. The notice, which is not yet published in its final form, does not explicitly seek comment on the scope of the agency's authority in this domain. But it does seek public input on current and potential commission licensing and rules that might facilitate ISAM activities. Um, no, no doubt, uh, ISAM activities uh, will draw the attention uh, and have drawn the attention of a number of other uh, agencies within the government. In fact, the commission's inquiry comes on the heels 
of the ISAM National Strategy, which was issued by the White House uh, Office of Science and Technology Policy, OSTP, in April of this year. And that strategy makes clear that the United States plans to support and stimulate government, academic, and commercial development of ISAM capabilities. So this will no doubt be a multi-agency effort, just as, for example, the matter of alleviating space safety concerns uh, when it comes to orbital debris has been to date. So within the notice of inquiry, among the key areas the commission will be looking for input on are, uh, first, uh, the spectrum needs for ISAM missions. Uh, the commission wants to know to what extent are they short-term or episodic spectrum needs, what degree is there a need for an always-on transmission and reception capability for ISAM activities? And the commission notes in the inquiry uh, and seeks comment on um, the fact that ISAM spectrum needs may involve commission links among spacecraft within uh, or even beyond Earth's orbit uh, among spacecraft and equipment uh, or devices located on the moon, on asteroids, uh, or in orbit, uh, or en route to other non-terrestrial bodies. Second, the Commission wants to know how ISAM activities might increase the potential for new orbital debris, and what efforts exist to minimize the creation of this new debris in connection with ISAM activity. In a related vein, uh, the Commission does want to know how ISAM capabilities uh, may be developed to relieve some of the current issues regarding such debris, for example, through retrieval or repositioning operations. And then thirdly, uh, taking a very broad view, the Commission asked for input on regulatory issues uh, presented by ISAM activities extended, extending beyond the Earth's orbit. Now this inquiry complements some other uh, ongoing FCC proceedings in the Commission's recent orbital debris Proceeding, the Commission continues to consider a variety of issues on rule updates to complement what is already required with space station applications. There was a 2020 further notice of proposed rulemaking, and an augmented record was developed in 2021 and continues to be developed this year. There's no yet decision on that further NPRM, but the, there is a dovetailing with this notice of inquiry. And then in addition, the Commission's ongoing commercial launch frequency proceeding, which was uh, launched, pun intended, in 2021, invited comment on payload operations in addition to launch operations that could either utilize or potentially use spectrum for vehicles, for example, used for transport to the International Space Station. So this notice of inquiry uh, refocuses on such matters uh, more directly. The ISAM activities will also raise interesting international issues. The inquiry uh, seeks comment, for example, on whether the licensing of ISAM activities should be governed by a regulatory framework analogous to the U.S. satellite market access framework, which enables space stations licensed by other administrations to access the U.S. satellite marketplace. So again, will ISAM activities that have been licensed by other countries, will they require a sort of market entry authorization to be uh, conducted uh, over U.S. airspace? The expectation is that there's more to come from the commission in its space innovation docket. 
and perhaps sooner rather than later, as mentioned by the International Bureau Chief Tom Sullivan at the press conference following the open meeting. It's not clear what the next step will be after this notice of inquiry, but Commissioner Rosenworcel's comments make clear that the FCC, under her leadership, intends to help ensure that ISAM providers are able to join the high flyers who soar to high heights. Comments uh, will be due on this notice of inquiry 45 and 75 days after Federal Register publication. So we come to an end here. The next FCC open meeting is September 29th. We will be back with our continued podcasts providing first impression coverage of the FCC's open meetings. We hope to see you then, and we thank you for joining us today. Kelly Dry wishes you a good remainder of your summer and a start to the fall. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.